And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Today we will see that following a fellow Christian's testimony and impact for Christ is proof of genuine care for him or her. And now with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott. Well, it happens every so often. And when it does, you're touched. And when it does, you're blessed. And when it does, really, you never forget it. It happened for us when uh, the initial B and his wife, the initial J, without any notice, when asked, took care of our three-year-old daughter when Beth and I had to leave town on urgent business. It also happened when the initial B and the initial T totally surprised us with a $20,000 gift to our family for medical treatments that were necessary for one of our family members. It happened to me when a pastor rebuked me for a vague prayer that really lacked faith when I offered it in his presence. It does happen when people truly genuinely care for us. And so let me ask you tonight, how do you know if someone really cares for you and has your best interests at heart? What do you read into a situation where someone says they'll call you and they never do? On the other hand, what does it mean when someone rearranges their life without even being asked to bless you. When there's genuine interest in someone else, how is that interest maintained? How is that interest grown over time? How important is it in a sense that someone else is interested in you? How important is that? Especially how important is that that someone is interested in you and your spiritual advancement? I'd like to pray with you. Father God, we see in your creation that lions isolate their prey before the kill. And it is the animals without the interest and care and protection of other animals which soon become delicious dinner. Father, at the beginning of this sermon, we face the fact that we are but little lambs who are naive and needy and vulnerable. And not wisely are self-sufficient. Father, please protect us from the prowling, roaring lion named Satan who would love it if we would let no one care for us and he would love it if we would refuse to care about anybody else. And Father, please cause us to be a tool of your protection for other little lambs who we know and love who are being stalked by a roaming and a roaring lion. 
Father, please make our caring interest in our brothers and sisters genuine and practical and enduring. And Heavenly Father, where necessary, we repent of going it alone, of being a flock of one. Please use Romans 1, 8 to 10 to make our caring interest in our brothers and sisters in Christ real and evident. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. At the time of the writing of the epistle to the Romans, the Apostle Paul had never been able to visit Rome and the church that was there. And the Romans may well have wondered if Paul was really interested in them, if he actually cared for them. And in the time we have in God's word together, we're going to take up two proofs of the Apostle Paul's caring for the Christians at Rome. We're going to look at verses 8 to 10 of Romans 1. I encourage you to turn there if you have not done so already. Romans chapter 1. Hear the word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you Always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Again, what we have here in these verses are two proofs that the Apostle Paul genuinely cared for the church at Rome, although he had never been there. The first proof of his care was that Paul had heard of the Roman Christians' good testimony for Jesus throughout the then-known world. Let me say it again. The proof that the Apostle Paul actually cared for the first readers of the epistle to the Romans was that he had heard of their good testimony for Jesus throughout the then-known world. I see that in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Please notice with me that The Roman church's faith, which was proclaimed or preached throughout the whole known world, was known to Paul. And further, realize that saving and sanctifying faith is what makes for a good testimony. If Calvary Bible Church would have a good testimony that's known far and wide, then we must have a saving faith in Christ, but we also must have a sanctifying faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ ought to be setting us apart from a world system, a worldview that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. Of course, James, Jesus' half-brother, said in James 2, something on this, verse 26 of James 2, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We are told in Ephesians 2.1 that we formerly were dead in trespasses and sins. We were unresponsive to God. We were separated from God in a meaningful relationship with God. Our prayers went no higher than the ceiling when we prayed as spiritually dead pre-Christ people. James is saying that as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. But this church at Rome had a living faith in a living Savior. They had a faith that saved them from sin's penalty 
power and one day presence, but they had a faith in Jesus Christ which was setting them apart to be different, credible, authentic believers in Jesus. And that was the faith, the combination of saving faith and sanctifying faith that was spreading through the then known world that the Apostle Paul became aware of. Wouldn't it be something if a a believer in England came to hear of the faith of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas? A faith that is both in Christ for salvation and a faith that equally is in Christ by his spirit for sanctification. Paul proved that he cared for the church of ancient Rome because he knew about their good testimony for Jesus throughout the then known world. And the Romans could know back then as well-known, as well-traveled as Paul was, that he cared about them because he knew about and he commented on their good reputation which preceded them. And again, this good reputation was the combination of saving and sanctifying faith and good works. At the end of the epistle in chapter 15 and verse 14, he wrote to these precious believers, And concerning you, my brethren... I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Let's make this more personal. We are privileged to have missionaries that we support through prayer and through finances. Edison and Eunice Pinder, they're in Cat Island. What would it mean to Edison and Eunice Pinder if the next time they came to visit us here in Nassau that you went up to them and asked them about the prayer request they had conveyed in an email? What would it mean to them, the Pinders on Cat Island, if you picked up the phone and phoned them and asked them, how can I pray? How can my family pray for you this week as you minister on Cat Island? What would it mean if they saw in us as just a sample of our missionaries that our faith in Christ is not only for salvation but our faith in Christ is for sanctification, what would it mean to them as a sample of our missionary family if we proved to them our genuine care for them having heard of the Pinder's good testimony to Christ Jesus on the Cat Island in this great country? It would mean a lot to them. It would mean tons to them. It really would. We have the opportunity to prove our genuine caring interest in any and all of our missionaries by keeping track of their testimony, of being responsive to their prayer requests, of lifting them up in a systematic and regular way to the Lord in prayer. And one of the ways, of course, that I'm saying tonight that the great Apostle Paul proved his real interest in the first church of Rome, I'm just calling it that, was that he could intelligently, informedly comment on their sterling testimony for Christ. He knew about their faith. He was acquainted with their good works. Now, please hold your place in Romans 1 and go to the, me to the last chapter, 16. The very last chapter of this epistle is 16. I want you to go there with me. Here at the close of this letter to the church at Rome, Paul references 20 individuals by name who are part of the house churches of Rome. This is absolutely startling. 
because there were no phones, there were no cars, there were no emails, there was no Skype. And a few named in the list were previously known to the Apostle Paul from other contacts, but 20 of the names listed at the end of the book, 20 persons were known to Paul only from a distance. He never had met them face to face. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. And we want to wish you a happy new year, and we want to thank you for listening, and we pray that this year will be a year that you will do whatever God calls you to do. And as we begin this new year, as we know, many people make resolutions. Uh, People who start a new year and they want to make change. They want to change their eating habits. They want to change their exercise regimen. They want to change um, the things that they do. They even say, well, I want to go to church. But I want to ask you, what changes do you want to make? What change do you want to make this year? As we consider even in your own life, maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's your schoolwork. Maybe it's a bad relationship. Whatever that is for you, this is the perfect time for you to think about what kind of changes you'd like to make. If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? If you go back in time and think of something even last year, mistakes that you have made, what would it be? As we know, it's a new year. Many people say it's a fresh start. But as we go through this the next couple of weeks, we want to focus on change. But we need to understand that change is only come as we think of prayer. And we want to talk about how prayer changes things. You know, people talk about prayer and people sometimes think, well, prayer is just so boring because it's just talking and sometimes you don't see the results. But the reality is that if we look at our lives and we can see prayer changes things. Um, as I think of my own life, I can think of, of a tough time that I was going through and, you know, just seeing how, you know, it was just tough and I didn't know where to turn. And the only place I could turn was Jesus Christ and and just praying to him and saying, God, I need your help with this. And I think that as we consider the change, as we consider this new year, as we consider looking at prayer, I think that this is the best place to start a new year because we need to start our new year talking to God because he needs to be the first thing that we think about. He needs to be the first thing as we think about change. Yes, all the things that we talk about with having a diet and having an exercise regimen, they're all good things. But the reality is that we need to make changes in our lives that are better suited to bring honor and glory to God. So I want to just talk to you about how prayer starts and ends with God. You see, when we consider prayer, there are too many times where we think of prayer as something that is for us. We think, well, we pray and we think that, you know, I'm going to tell God all my needs and wants, and this is what prayer is about. But we need to look at prayer and understand that prayer is all about God. As we consider the first prayer, as, as Jesus gave a model of prayer, it starts off recognizing who God is, our Father. And he recognized how great and awesome he is. And, and that's why we need to understand as we think of prayer, we need to see who God is because we see who we are. And when we see who God is before we go into prayer, it helps us out. Because it helps us to see how desperately wicked we truly are. And how much we need God to change us. How much we need God to humble us. Because in our own selves, we are very prideful. We think we have it together. But as we look at God and we think God's standard, we say, you know you know what? I don't reach that standard. I need Christ to help me. 
So this morning we want to look at a couple of verses, and we want to look at Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. And we need to understand that prayer starts and ends with God. And it says in Romans 11, 33 to 36, it says this, For the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and of knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, and traceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been in his counselor, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. You see, the verse says, doesn't say everything is from God and through God and for God except prayer. Your prayers come from you, through you, for you. All things it says are from God, through God, and for God. Everything including prayer. And that should be about God. You see, as we consider prayer, we need to understand that everything comes from God. The knowledge of God. God is the one who is there with us. God is the one who is showing us the things we need to pray for. He is always with us. As it says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We need to know the knowledge of God. We need to see who God is. And we see who God is. We see who we are. Verse 36 is such a great verse. From, from him and through him and to him are all things. You see, we need to recognize that God is everything. God is the beginning. He's the end. He's the alpha and omega. He is everything. And everything is through him. Everything comes from him. And when we get this in our head and we understand what God has done, it helps us out. It helps us to recognize that everything is a, is a gift from God. Verse 34 says this, For who has known the mind of the Lord, and who has been his counselor, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? You see, when we understand this, it changes the way that we pray forever. It changes the way that we talk to God. It changes the way that we understand our needs and understand the way that we should talk to him because it's not just about asking God for what I want, but the relationship with him. It's recognizing that everything comes from him. You see, when we consider being around church for a while, you know about something called the Trinity. The Trinity is, as we know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to understand that you have God the Father as we consider God the Father. You have the Son, God in the flesh as we looked at Christmas. But we have the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to know things and helps us how to pray, helps us to know how to pray to God. Because in ourselves, we cannot, we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray to God but throughout the help of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but a Spirit who has come from God, that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. You see, Paul tells us that one of the things the Holy Spirit does it helps us to know the thoughts of God the Father. He reveals God's thoughts as if we're listening. We need to understand as we t speak to God, we know as we talk to Him. It helps us to know how to talk to God because in ourselves we know nothing. It's the same thing as the Holy Spirit helps us as we look at God's Word. It helps us to know the things that we need to change in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't know how to live. We don't know how to change. 
But as I consider the Holy Spirit and I consider how the Holy Spirit helps us, we need to look at this year and think to ourselves, what changes can I make? How do I allow myself to be filled with the Spirit? The Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit. And I think sometimes we take this out and, you know, it means all sorts of things, but it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to have a heart after God, to know what the Spirit is in tune with God. And I challenge you as we consider and we start this new year, as we talk about change, what are those changes you're trying to make? Are those changes just things that looks good on the surface? Nothing wrong with healthy changes. Nothing wrong with diets and exercise stuff. But what is happening spiritually? Are you saying, you know what, I made some mistakes in 2018. I made mistakes in the way I conducted myself. I made mistakes in school. I made mistakes by giving God a bad name. But I like to change that. I like to change that in a way that as I consider 2019, I want to change it because I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want the Spirit to be seen in my life. And I understand that God is in everything. And because God is in everything and because I'm a child of God, I need to allow the Spirit to reveal Him through in my life. So I would challenge you, as we start this new year, as we start talking about prayer. I know prayer is something as a Christian is very hard. As we make it very hard. Because we don't like to take the time to spend and just be quiet because we're so filled with electronics and, and everything else that we're too busy to pray. But I would challenge you to take time each day even if it's for two minutes to start off with, just to talk to God and ask the Holy Spirit to help reveal things in your life that you need to change. This is Pastor Nicholas with another edition of Utah. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We hear at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I have a question here based on Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Matthew 4, 23 reads, And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the question here is, why did Jesus heal people and do miracles? Well, miracles are seen throughout biblical history, but their greatest display appears during the ministry of Christ. These miracles had six purposes. Number one, to introduce a new era. The first purpose of Jesus' miracles is to introduce the promised Messiah, who in turn announced that the kingdom is at hand. Matthew 4, verse 14, Matthew 10, verse 7. The miracles accompanied the kingdom offer, 
and made sure that offer, proved that offer was legitimate. Matthew 12, verse 28. The second reason that Jesus healed people and did miracles was that it authenticated himself. It proved him to be who he said that he was. So this second major purpose is to authenticate the Messiahship of Jesus. His works, miracles, are a witness to his person as Messiah, the Son of God. See John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. These miracles of Christ are the insignia, the signature of his deity and of his Messiahship. The third purpose for Jesus doing miracles when on earth was to authenticate Christ's message. As miracles were used to authenticate Christ's person, so they also served to authenticate his message. Christ appeals to his miracles in John chapter 10, verse 38, to substantiate his message concerning his oneness with the Father. His message was certified as being authentic by the miracles he performed. The fourth purpose for Jesus' miracles while on earth to instruct his disciples. After the rejection of Christ by the Jewish leaders, seen in Matthew chapter 12, his miracles were less public and became agents of instruction for the benefit of his disciples. The miracles instructed the disciples concerning Christ's power, trust in Christ's provisions, prayer, and as an outreach to the Gentiles. Matthew 15:21 through 28 and Mark chapter 7 verse 3. The fifth purpose of Jesus Christ's miracles while on earth to reveal conditions in the future kingdom. A special purpose for which Christ used his miracles was to reveal the conditions of the future kingdom, the messianic age or the millennial kingdom. The miracles foreshadow a brief display the removal of sickness, John 5, 1 to 18. Removal of death, John 11, 17 to 44. The removal of disease, Luke 14, 1 through 6. And the removal of hunger, Matthew 15, verses 32 to 38, in the coming kingdom. The miracles also point to the joy and prosperity that will characterize the kingdom of Christ on earth. See John 2, verses 1 through 11. And in that kingdom, Satan will be restricted. See Matthew 8, 28 through 34. The sixth and the last purpose of Jesus Christ's miracles when on earth is to display mercy. One final purpose of Christ's miracles was to display mercy on suffering people. His mercy and compassion often moved him to act. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 14. Matthew 15, verse 32. Mark 1, verse 41. Luke 7, verse 13. Jesus often healed in response to pleas for mercy. See Matthew 15, 25. Matthew 17, 15. Mark 10, verses 47 and 48. Luke 17, verse 13. Christ's healing miracles outnumber all of the other miracles. The miracles of Christ had varying results. Belief, John 2, verse 11, and John 4, verse 50. Conviction, Luke 5, verse 8. Following Jesus, Mark 10, verse 52. Emotion, Matthew 8, 27. Matthew 12, 23. Mark 7, 37. Worship, Mark 2, verse 12, and John 9, verse 38. Recognition of Christ's uniqueness, 
Luke chapter 7, verse 16, John chapter 6, verse 14, and rejection. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, John chapter 5, verse 16, John chapter 11, verse 53. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.